I'm going to get to my sermon, but God has impressed in my heart a passage about, I believe it's with respect to Mary being birthed, birthing Jesus. I believe I got that right. I could be wrong. But the phrase that's coming into my mind is, with God, all things are possible. With man, it may look impossible. And quite frankly, with man, it is impossible. (laughs) If we could be honest, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And there's somebody here today that's looking at something, and you're looking at it, and all you can see is the negative, the no's, the can'ts, the won'ts. It will not, it cannot, it should not, there's no way. And some of you are, and, and you're, you're almost building a fortress with the negative that it can't. And I'm here to tell you, with a kick, I'm breaking down, I don't know how to karate kick, so I'm just kicking it like I'd kick a soccer ball. He's breaking it down, and he says, with God, it's possible. With God, it's possible. And so some of you need to take that word, and you need to write it down. Don't make it complicated. Just write, with God, it's possible. Amen? Amen. Well, this sermon today is going to complete the series. We're coming to the end of the year. There's a lot of time for reflection, and and I think that's a good thing. Pastor Louise was was sharing this morning about the times and the seasons, and there's, there's an aspect I think that's healthy. It's good for us to look at things because God does work in seasons. God does work in seasons. He created the earth, and there's four seasons. We know um, rain season. We know rain season. We know short, sunny season. We know rain season. We, we know it in B.C. Um, and some places actually have actually four seasons. Um, one day, maybe we will experience them all. Actually, Last year, this time of the year, it was white and, and it was cold. And so I, I'll be honest with you, I, I enjoy the snow, but I kind of like it when it doesn't bother my driving and everything else. But this morning, I want to take a few moments and I want to talk about Jesus. And I'd like to ask a question of you this morning, in all honesty... And sometimes as a pastor, you get up here and you look and you go, well, I know everybody here is a believer. So I'm not asking you if you're saved or anything like that, but I want to ask you a question. Does Jesus govern your life? I'll say more, but um, sometimes the dramatic pause is actually a good thing. Does Jesus govern 
your life. Let me make that practical. What's the first thing comes to your mind when somebody does you wrong? Now, the first thing that comes to your mind is not, don't look at that negative. What's the second thing that comes to your mind? Because sometimes the first thing that comes to my mind isn't positive. But I have an opportunity at that moment to have the second thing come to mind and erase the first thing and beat the first thing and live victorious. Have you ever said, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't say this, oh, I shouldn't, and then you say it? (laughs) Have you ever, and, and it's like, I've done that, and it's like the moment it's coming out of my mouth, it's like, oh, I'm gonna regret this. So sometimes it's not the first thought that gets us in trouble. Sometimes it's the second or third or fourth thought that gets us in trouble. And I would suggest to you, when I ask the question, does Jesus govern your life, it's when you get to question number two or thought number two or thought number three. Is it now turning the course and is it going to be good or is it going down that bad slippery slope of it's like, oh, I'm going to ask for forgiveness later, but I got to do this now. Because Jesus wants to govern your life. It says in the Bible that you were purchased, I was purchased with a price. And because I was purchased with the price, he says, therefore, honor me with your body and your mind. In today's world, we get so, it's so easy to make excuses. It's so easy to reason out why Jesus didn't govern me that moment. It's so easy. Well, that's the way I grew up. I've always dealt with it that way, so I just went and did it again. Jesus came to improve your life. Jesus came to improve my life. And I would suggest to you, as he improves our lives, it will affect the lives of those around us. I'm not anywhere on my notes. But if you can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, I, I want to continue and I want to finish this passage this morning as I started it a few number of weeks ago, it just opened up for me. And it's a passage about Jesus. It's written, prophesied about 700 to 750 years before Christ was born. And in, if you study the prophetic utterances, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of references to Christ in the Old Testament 
Some people will say there's 61 prophetic words. Other people will say there's up to 400 references or inferences of God, as in Jesus, the, the, in the Old Testament, pointing towards the New Testament. And a mathematician once did a, a mathematical equation. And I, I, I enjoy math. And statistically speaking, they did, what is the chances of someone accomplishing a prophetic word? And what they did was they took, I think it was six of the prophetic words, and they just said the chances of one person filling, fulfilling these words, and you got to realize the last one was 400 years before Christ was born. So it wasn't like the week before, oh, I see someone pregnant. I think there's going to be a... Ch this was 400 years minimum ahead of time. And the chances of that fulfilling was like one in a trillion. Like, just crazy. And that was just for six. Then they said, what would it be like if it was for... And they, they said up to 50 or 60... And, and the one mathematician came up with an answer. It was like one in a trillion in a trillion in a trillion in a trillion. And, and it just went on and on and on. So the chances of this prophetic word being just manipulated by man, it's statistically not there. So when Isaiah was speaking prophetically and prophesying of Christ, this was just one of the prophecies. I want you to see verse 1, it says, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. I just want to point out some things about Jesus. If you're in anguish, or you were in anguish, Jesus says there's no more gloom because of Jesus. You might feel like there has been earlier in times earlier, but he says there's not going to be no more, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In verse 2, it says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Not a great darkness, a great light. In John 1 1, it says he was the light, and that light was the life. He connects light and life together. I, I want to make some bold statements this morning because I don't think we actually, uh, I'm sorry, I, should, I don't think I actually live to the fullest degree of the goodness or the character or the blessing that God has for me. According to this word, it says those who walked in great darkness saw a great light. I believe that when Jesus enters a situation, light enters a situation. And with, with light comes exposure. Last night, I put a blanket down on the floor on Winona's side of the bed, and she got up in the middle of the night, and I turned the light on, and when she came back, she said, good thing you turned that light on because otherwise I would have tripped over that blanket. Light illuminates. 
and it says here that Jesus was that light. You don't have to have dark situations in your life anymore. No anguish. You don't have to live in darkness. It says those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. He talks about multiplying the nation, multiplying the people, blessing the people. When you look at the word bless in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, there's an aspect of understanding interpretation. And one of the rules of interpretation is you see how it was first used, how it was first applied, and that plays a large role when you move forward. And the word bless in the book of Genesis talks about blessing of offspring and blessing of wealth. That's the main two. There's a few others, but that is the main two references of blessing in the book of Genesis. And so when it says here that he's going to multiply, he's just talking about the blessing that comes with Jesus. So there's no more anguish. There's light. Verse 3, he's going to increase your gladness. This, this is what Jesus did. And I'm not talking about just him being a little boy. Sometimes our thinking can be so linear. And we think, oh, Christmas time, this is the time we celebrate his birth. No, we need to celebrate him. I'm thankful for his birth, but I'm thankful for him. Jesus. I'm thankful for all that he did. One year we might do a celebrate Christmas in July just to mess with us. Decorate, put a tree up, read all, do some Christmas carols in July. Oh, I know Pastor Daniel's all on that. He's already going, okay, I'm going to. He increases the gladness. Verse 4, he breaks the yoke of the burden. He removes the staff that was on the shoulder and the rod of the oppressor. He breaks that and he turns around all of those things for your good and he makes it fuel for your fire. This is just seven verses talking about Jesus. What a picture of our Savior. Verse 6 says, for a child will be born to us. And that talks about humanity. And then it says, and a son will be given to us. Talking about the deity. And you see the combination of humanity and deity. And you see this amazing picture and of words. And uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These are pictures of Jesus. These are words that describe Jesus. And I've said it many times, but a name removes chaos. So when you say wonderful counselor, you're talking about Jesus. That removes the chaos. You don't have to have chaos anymore because the wonderful counselor is there. Prince of Peace actually is the peace the Prince of Peace, Prince is somebody that's a warrior. And so what does the Prince of Peace do? He breaks those things that establish or that try to make chaos. He breaks that and he establishes peace. Peace is not the absence of those things. It's the presence of him. 
And because of him, chaos is broken. You don't have to live with dueling thoughts. You don't have to live with competing thoughts. You don't have to live with things in your mind that you can't shut down. Why? Because the prince of peace is my Jesus. And he rules over that. And today I want to look at a little passage, a little statement in verse 6 and then verse 7. It says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And it's interesting it says rest on his shoulders because a couple verses earlier he talks about the oppression and he, and he pictured it with the children of Midian uh, that Gideon was involved with and the oppression that they had. And they had to hide in order to live. They were hiding. They weren't living natural lives. They weren't living real. They were hiding in caves. He was uh, threshing his wheat in a wine press. And the oppression of the enemy, and it was, and the staff on their shoulders, the, the, the strife and the heaviness. And it says here, the same, he uses the same word shoulders, but here he talks about the government resting on his shoulders, Jesus. I find this interesting because we have pictures of what he's going to do, but we also see pictures of how far he'll do it. He isn't God did not send Jesus just for a moment in time. He sent Jesus to affect eternity. It says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And then in verse 7, it says, there will be no increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Jesus is committed to your success. <laughs> He's more committed to your success than you are. Why do I say that? Because we make a mess of things. He did not make a mess. He, he did it once. He did it for all. Jesus is committed to your success. This is not just a Christmas passage. This is a Christ passage. Don't just put this aside and say, oh, come December 1st, I'll open up to Isaiah 9 and I'll read that passage every day in December. No, read this passage, meditate on it in, throughout the year because this is a passage about Christ. This is a passage about the powerful, amazing Savior that came and died for us so that we could live. I am convinced that Jesus is the answer. I am convinced. I am convinced that Jesus is the answer. I am convinced Oprah is not. I'm convinced Dr. Phil is not. I'm convinced T.D. Jakes is not the answer. I am convinced Jesus is the answer. 
He came and he rectified and he restored relationship with God and man. And the work that he did was an all-powerful work and it, didn't, it doesn't fade out. It doesn't lose its power. It is just as effective today to save a soul, to give you light, to give you no more anguish. It is just as effective today as it was 2,000 years ago. His government. What is government? Government is something that rules a nation or a people. Now, I'm not going to get political on you because there are many different views on what government should do and how government should influence our lives, but I know a few things. One of the things is government is there to protect the people. That I do know. And I want to show you something in the Bible that Jesus came to protect you. If you read this passage in, in another version, one of the versions says it's the responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders. Jesus is responsible for your well-being. Now I'll tell you this much, he has done everything you need for your well-being. Everything you need for your well-being, Jesus has paid for, provided, and been responsible for. If you can turn to Genesis 15. You can see this throughout the Psalms, but I want you to see it in Genesis 15, verse 1. This is a picture of how Jesus governs his people. In verse 1 it says, And after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Don't fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. What is that? That's protection. He's a protection. He says, And your reward shall be very great. In some versions, it says, I am a shield to you and your very great reward. In the government of Jesus, we have protection and we have a reward. Blessing. If you, if you read the rest of that chapter, Abram is still going, Lord, how can this be? You've said I'm going to have children, but I, I'm just, it's just not happening. And, and God says, you know what, I want you to bring, Abram talks to him, and in verse about eight or nine, he says, you know, how can this be? Can you, you know, how can you show me? And God says, bring three animals, and, and he has Abram bring these animals and sacrifice them, and he splits the animals, puts them aside, and the birds he just kept whole. And if you go into verse um Verse 17 and 18, it, it says, It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. Now, the way covenants were established 
in the Old Testament times and in the ancient times was they would split the things and they would walk down the middle. So here is God and he is walking down the middle. I want you to see something about how God is committed to you, how greatly he's committed to you. In the next verse, it says, and on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Covenants are not contracts. Contracts you negotiate. Contracts are, I'll do this for this sum, or I will provide this and you will do that. In this passage, when you read this, it says God came and God made a covenant with Abram. And if you read it, God just says, this is what I'm going to do. And the best way I can explain that in natural terms is the marriage covenant. I did not negotiate to marry my wife. It wasn't a contract that we negotiated. In fact, I said to her, I am committing myself to you. And I got down on my knee and I said, will you marry me? And when I asked that question, what I was doing was I was making a covenant to her. Whether she responded or not, my initial covenant was, this is what I will do for you. We didn't sit and negotiate. We didn't have a prenuptial agreement. We didn't have all these, well, this and this and this and let's. No, it was this was David coming to my wife, my bride at that time, and saying, This is what I want. I want to spend the rest of my life with you and I want to extend it. And then my wife re responded in kind and said, I will do the same. Sometimes we think contract and covenant are the same, but covenant is so strong. Covenant is strong. Covenant is not made on pieces of paper that says this is what I'll do. The covenant is made in the heart. And that's what I said earlier. Jesus is committed to your success. He's covenanted to your success. In Philippians 1, Paul is writing to the Philippian church and he's greeting them, and he's telling them how he's joyful about hearing about how they're doing. And then he says in verse 6, he who begun a good work, he says, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ. Jesus is committed to you. So not only did he show up as a child and as a son, but he came to rule and to reign. And in this passage in Isaiah that we were looking at, we saw all these things that we do, and then it says, and of his government. And one, one of the phrases, this is government and peace. Who here would like peace? Man, I... I like peace. I like peace. It's like it sure beats war. It sure beats conflict. Jesus came so that your mind doesn't have to be in conflict anymore. I keep coming in as I'm saying this, the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing up the word in the mind. 
And so I think sometimes we can see the physical aspects of battles, but there's a mind battle that we don't always see. I'm here to tell you that Jesus came and defeated that so that you could have peace in your mind. He is committed to that. He's committed to that. His government, his rule, his authority, his dominion. And how does he reign? It's a government of peace. It's a government of justice. Justice. Not fairness. I think sometimes we ask for fairness, which is equality, whereas justice is what's right. What's right? Have you ever had a situation where you were screaming for fairness, but somebody did something that was justice, and you actually looked at it and go, you know what? That's right. That's, that's correct. Equality, if you don't know what fairness is, have three children and two cookies. And try to figure that one out. And sometimes we think God is fair. God is just. And in his justice, fairness is executed. But it is justice on how he administers it. He is just. Just is correct. Just is proper. Just is the way it should be. That's why some people struggle sometimes when they see injustice because in their hearts they've got a real gifting and a passion and they see an injustice happening and they go, that's not right. And what they're doing is they're seeing and, and they're displaying a God-given gift in them to understand what justice is. And they go, no, that's not right. That person got that, but that's not correct. Justice says this. He reigns, his government reigns and rules on the basis of justice, not corruption. His decisions yesterday are the same today. He doesn't change his mind. He is just. Now, he might deal with things differently, but he's a just God. In other words, every time you come to him, he, you, you will receive the same um, act and the same emotion or the same uh, expression from God. It might come through differently, but he's just. He doesn't hang out on whims and ideas and, hey, let's try this. Let's, let's throw out a trial balloon and let's see what would happen if we did this. That's not how God operates. He's just. The king you and I serve is sure. Right now, we live in a society, every four years, we get an opportunity to vote in or vote out political parties and they will quite often design some of their platform in order to appease people. God doesn't design a platform to appease. He is just. He is just. 
So when he looks at you, he deals with justice. Now what's amazing, in James it says mercy triumphs over judgment. It's, it's, it's amazing when you deal with God, how he deals and how he administers it. He has justice, and then he's got this amazing, amazing thing called mercy. And mercy is still not fairness. Mercy is well God, how God does things. And his justice and his mercy he administers his government in justice, which is a hallmark of how he reigns, but it also says in righteousness. You can, you can rest assured that when you deal with God and you talk with God, he will always talk to you righteously. He comes from a right standing. He's not there to mess with you. Well, he is there to mess with you. <laughs> He's not there to mess you up. He's there to fix you and to help you. But sometimes we need to get our thinking adjusted. But he's right. He's correct. Amen? In Lamentations 3, it says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. <laughs> He's the just God, but he has this amazing gift that he gives us called mercy. And mercy is when we don't get what we should deserve. And that's how he rules, with justice and mercy. Because his compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. I hope in my God. I'm, I'm reminded of the passages in the Bible where David was confronted by the prophet, prophet, I believe it was Nathan, and given a choice and said, listen, you've sinned, and here are some options you have. God gave him some options of how to deal with the sin. And David looked at the options, and one of them dealt with humanity, and the other one, another one dealt with God. And he says, you know what, I'm going to go on the God side of this correction because who knows, maybe his mercy will actually lighten the load. Have you ever had a situation come that you said, this is what I should get, but by the grace of God, I only got that? And Anybody know what I'm talking about? I should have... <laughs> I remember once I drove my car too fast around the corner and it was icy out and I literally went around the corner, I hit the shoulder and there was a bank that went down and I literally felt the vehicle just grab, somehow it grabbed traction and it came back on the road and I shook and shaked for about 10, 15 minutes after that because I knew physics said that it should have gone and gone over the edge, but for some reason it hit that spot, and I believe, I believe angels came and they just grabbed it and pulled it and put it back on the road. You say, well, how do you know? Well, listen, I'm going to get the DVD when I get to heaven, and I'm going to ask for it because I believe I should have had that, but his mercy was David here. And so when I see that, I go, the Lord is my portion. I don't know, but I'm going to serve a God that's like that. Amen? 
I'm going to serve a God that is compassionate. And he says, I, I, the, the writer of Lamentations, through the Lord's mercies were not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We sing that song, great is thy faithfulness. It says, the Lord is my portion. Yeah, the Lord is my portion. I am so thankful because if I was left to my own devices, I would have made a mess. I would have this happened or that happened. I think when we get to heaven, and this is just my conjecture, but I think we're going to have a coffee break with our angels, and they're going to go, remember that time? Oh, how about that time? I've had a few situations where I'm thinking, that should not have happened, but I thank God that he protected and had mercy on me. Come on. Do we serve a good God? This is how Jesus improves our life. This is how Jesus affects our life. So earlier I asked the question, does Jesus govern your life? We've spent the last four or five weeks looking at this passion of this portion in, in Isaiah talking about Christ. And in that passage, not only does it talk about what Christ does, but then it talks about his government. And there is a future aspect to his government, but there's also a present application to his government. His government is explained through his kingdom principles that he shows in the Gospels. When he showed the disciples, he says, it said this, but this is the heart. I was just reading a few passages in Luke. <laughs> he wanted to mess with people so much, he would do things on the Sabbath just because he knew it would get people upset. Why did he do Because he was showing how his government, how his mercy, how his compassion, how he governs, and his justice. And what is amazing is the last portion, the last phrase in this passage in Isaiah, it says, and the zeal of God will accomplish this. When I say God was more committed to your success. He is passionate about your success. He gave his life for you to live a life of success. He gave his life so that you could live abundantly. He gave his life so that you could live above those situations that used to tear you down. He gave his life so that the oppressor that used to oppress you is broken, smashed, and does not need to be put together. He gave his life so that you do not have to live in anguish anymore. He gave his life so that those things that used to be dark now can be turned on by the light of his goodness and his aspect and his uh, being in that situation. We serve an amazing God. Amen? This morning as we were worshiping, we had three, four, five verses. I found that very amazing and, and kind of neat. 
Because I believe God is speaking to us. I heard the words increase. I heard the word abundance. I heard the word more. I heard the words that we're not just limping through this year, but we come through this year stronger. And his grace. Why? If I could humbly submit, not because of you. Because of him. He governs my life. So this morning, if I can sum this up, I'm just in awe of who he is. I'm in awe of my creator. That he would commit himself to me knowing that I make mistakes. And he'd say, listen, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to pull you out of those things and I'm going to govern your life. My government, it, it rests on me. Those responsibilities are mine. And it's going to be meted out in justice. And it's going to be meted out in righteousness. And it's not going to see any end. He says, and not only that, but I'm so passionate about it. I'm zealous for it. The zeal of that is what's going to accomplish it. I am passionate about seeing you succeed and you growing and you winning in life. Amen? You stand. His rule shall never end. His rule will never end. As the song is playing right now, we've had, I've, I've had a lot of fun preaching in this passage. But I don't want to just miss all those great things he does. I want to take a moment and say, Lord, would you govern my life? I thank you for everything that you say and everything that you do. But Lord, I need to get better at this. I need to get better at it doesn't mean I'm not saved. It doesn't mean I'm not going to heaven. But I just find that I have too many instances where I make a mistake. And I don't let you govern my life. And yet you're the smartest person in the room. So I just want to pray over you this morning. We're approaching the end of 2018. I believe 2019 is going to be an amazing year. I'm expecting it. I heard more miracles, more salvations, more healing. Why? Because he governs. 
If you need some prosperity, he governs. He can tell you how to get prosperous. It says he gives us the power to create wealth. Read it in the Bible. He is interested in your wealth. But it's not wealth the way we often think it is. It's understanding his wealth. Salvations, healing, health, wealth, prosperity, relationships, peace of mind. Anybody here a candidate for receiving more and saying, God, I need you just to, I need you to govern me. I am committing to you governing me more. He's prepared. Are we prepared? Amen. Let's just close our eyes and I'm just going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just ask right now in this sacred moment that we would listen to your promptings quicker. That we would hear Holy Spirit speaking to us and we would obey immediately. That your government would affect our lives now and forever. We thank you for that, Jesus. And I just ask God that you would touch everyone as we look at turning the leaf to a new year. That your goodness would come and it would chase us down in this next year. Your precious name.